the Holy Gospel, according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, for, thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Whenever you're a pastor, all of your family members and extended family members think that you collect Bibles, okay? So whenever somebody's cleaning out an attic or a box or a bookshelf and they find an old German or Swedish Bible, Aaron's a pastor, I bet he wants it. <laughs> I have a box and a half of old Bibles. I don't even know who some of them belong to, but they give it to me, I say thank you, and it goes into the box, and one day it's going to be my children's problem to figure out what to do with these Bibles. Well, some of them I am glad to have, and one of them, though, is a particular one. It's actually in English. <clears throat> my Grandpa Drake was in France and Germany and Austria during the Second World War, and it was his little Bible that he carried with him during the war, King James Version in particular. And uh, I haven't read it all the way through yet, but I do want to read it just so I say I can. And when I do, I'm going to use the bookmark that came in the Bible when Grandpa gave it to me. It was a bookmark that had the Beatitudes on it, among other Bible verses on it. The Beatitudes being the verses we had from our Matthew reading today. Now, I bet those words are familiar to you, those Beatitudes, the blessed is the he, blessed are those, blessed are you, etc., uh, we've heard them a lot of times before. They're a prominent part of Matthew's Gospel and the Sermon on the Mount. And, of course, they are beautiful sentiments, these Beatitudes, about a blessed reward from God. Beatitude really means blessed when you translate it into English. And it has this wonderful language of the Old Testament about God blessing his faithful people. But amongst Christians... There's disagreement about the Beatitudes. Can you imagine that? There's people that get quarrelsome even about the Beatitudes. What's their purpose is the question. And even amongst Lutherans, there are not everybody agreed on them. Are the Beatitudes what we call law? Or are they what we call gospel? Are they commands or are they promise? What kind of law are they if they are law? I want to talk about this question today and... Also, I want to talk about something at the very end, too. And that's what is important to us as we remember the faithful departed. Now, to the Beatitudes, the most popular interpretation of these sentences of Jesus is that they, Jesus is talking about a reward that is gained by the Christian for some sort of achievement that he does. Okay? So it's saying, if you do this, if you are this, then... God will give and do this for you. So to put it, use an example, if I want to inherit the earth, then I must be meek. 
I must become meek first. If I want to be numbered amongst the sons of gods, well, I must be a peacemaker. Now, the benefits of this understanding of the Beatitudes are there, right? There's a clear map, right, of what to do and what the reward will be. What to do and what will happen as a consequence. There's a prize in mind and a path to reach it, unmistakably. The problem, though, with this way of looking at Beatitudes exclusively, and Lutherans recognize it right away, I hope so, can't fully do it. <laughs> it says to do this, and I know, oh, I can do okay, maybe, maybe even on a good day, pretty good, but completely, eh, no, I cannot. Who is perfectly merciful? Who is completely in every, every situation a peacemaker between people? Now, if I lived my life by the measure of the Beatitudes as law and law alone, we all know from experience and from whatever pastor taught us this, that I'm going to only live in one of two camps, pride, thinking I'm good enough and I've met the measure, or despair, knowing that I have not measured up and I never will. And I will have then no assurance of God's gracious mercy toward me. Another interpretation of the Beatitudes, and a much more Lutheran one, theologically speaking, is that they are only law, meant to accuse us, meant to show us how bad we are. We read the Beatitudes, and it's just that mere showing us that we're really dirty and need someone to clean us. The Beatitude that says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. Well, I look at that and I realize, sometimes I do hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, but a lot of times I don't. I am an old sinner, my old Adam clinging to me. But... I realized that Jesus hungered and thirsted for righteousness' sake for me, kept the law for me, bada-bing, gospel, the forgiveness of sins. Now the benefit of this understanding is it is in accord with our good Lutheran systematic theology, how we look at the Bible and the world. It puts Jesus Christ and his work for us at the center where he does, of course, belong. The problem with this is that it flattens out the Beatitudes, this discourse and really all other words that we apply it to. It reduces words to their basic grammatical function. Okay, We just sort of say, well, if this is telling me what to do, I realize that as a sinner I can't do it, and so that drives me to the gospel and forgiveness and so forth. Now we do know, I hope we know and remember that the law in, in its chief use is as a mirror to accuse us, show us our sin, to drive us to the gospel. That actually is true. But if we have that interpretation and understanding of God's law, anytime he tells us to do something and then have a full stop at the end of it, well, making it its sole use, there's a problem there. God's law, which is his eternal good will toward us, right, is a good thing. It's summarized and loved and it's not kept in this little box like that, and at least it should not be. It is not so constrained. So the third way to look at the Beatitudes, all these statements of blessedness from Matthew 5, upholds the best part of those first two ways I have just described. And that is the Beatitudes are about Jesus himself first, and they are about us second. Or to sum it up this way, to use the language that Jesus uses, Blessed is Christ, 
and blessed are the people that belong to him. The whole Bible, from start to finish, all 66 books, is about Jesus. All the stories, all of the history, all of the poetry, everything points to him and his work. And of course, naturally, his own words, when he spoke them, also fit the bill. They point back to him and what he is and is doing. But with and out of his works and our faith in them come also this, our own Christian lives, our own good works. And thus it is with the Beatitudes themselves. Jesus Christ is the blessed one he is talking about. And in him, at the same time, we are declared blessed. He says, you all, you Christians, you're blessed. And in actuality, we are becoming ourselves blessed. And that's the best part of the second understanding of the Beatitudes. That only Christ keeps the holy law perfectly, and he does. Who mourned? Whoever did mourn truly and in actuality with 100% complete cause and reason to mourn? That would be the perfect Lamb of God by my count. Whoever was persecuted truly, persecuted truly for righteousness' sake? Well, that would be the suffering servant who was a propitiation for the sins of the world. You see, the only person who can fully and fairly ever be called blessed is Jesus Christ. And that brings us back, though, then to the second or the first part, or the first use and the best part of it. That these beatitudes are things for us to do, to try and grow into. Not as a way to God, a ladder up to Him, but because we are already with Him. We are already in God. We as Christians, just categorically, if you're a Christian, you've been proclaimed to be blessed already. That's what you are. You're a Christian. Guess what? You are blessed. And in that being declared blessed by God, you begin to actually lead blessed lives indeed. And so, we strive, actively strive, to come the good beatitudes, the second part listed, the merciful and the pure in heart and so forth. And as Christians, we don't run away or turn away from the more difficult ones, the harder ones, the mourning and sorrowful ones and so forth. You see, in Christian theology, the law does show us our sin and our need for a savior and it also keeps us safe from harm and it gives us a beautiful map of how to live a life that is blessed and pleasing to God. And this is on beautiful display in the Beatitudes that we speak of now in All Saints Day. But there is one more thing to speak of because it is All Saints Day. And that is the Beatitudes place in the lives of those who are asleep in Jesus Christ. That is, the Beatitudes place in the lives of Christians who have died. We know very well also from the Lord's word that blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Christians who have died are at rest in Jesus Christ. And they are, for that reason, blessed. For them, the fight is over, the battle's won, and we know this, they're not truly dead, but they are sleeping. It's a striking thing about the Beatitudes. Jesus said, 
blessed are all of these things which really, if you think about it, for the most part, aren't all that great. Right? If you're going to think of, someone said, make a list of all the things that are blessed in life. If you sort of forgot about the Beatitudes for a second, do you think you're going to include being poor in spirit, mourning, and persecution? Probably not. Not most people's idea of being blessed. Yet at his word, and by his holy life, lived and imputed to us, he says, you're blessed. And that blessing is not something that ends when we die. When we yield up our spirit and our body goes to the dust. Even in that state, death itself, Christians are blessed. And as with the Beatitudes, we believe in him, we trust that his word is sure in this world's harsh reality. The world says death, what is good about that? What is possibly blessed about that? And we say, well, it doesn't look like much. But I have the word of somebody himself who beat death who says, absolutely, even in that death, there is blessedness. Jesus says that we're blessed, and so we say, amen, so be it. He says that the dead are actually just sleeping, and we say, amen. I, too, believe it. What the Lord says is blessed and good certainly doesn't mesh with the world's ideas, but I believe him over and against the world. Jesus Christ conquered death so that we might share the victory. And whether we live or die, so long as we are in him, we are truly blessed. Remember that this All Saints Day, and remember it always. Amen.